Hello everyone, and welcome to the Into the Burrow podcast. My name is Jared, and joining me is Jared. Oh hey! Hi. So, uh, what are we going to talk about today? Oh, you know, the usual. Got some updates, got some news, got a couple of reviews. Hmm. Okay, well, let's get into it. Sorry for the little quirky intro there. Um, that was improvised, and I had a lot of fun doing it, so hopefully you enjoyed it too. Um, but I always start off these podcasts talking about all of the busy things that are happening in my life and kind of what's going on and the different things that are kind of occurring with school, with work, what's the situation with all those things. And usually I just make excuses. Why haven't I been doing a podcast weekly, monthly? You know, the last time you did one was in March. So what are you doing with that? Well, it's for a couple of different reasons. Um, finishing school, moving, part two, um, you know, significant life changes. And uh, life does change. And I feel like I have that same exact statement almost verbatim every time I go to do a podcast. So honestly, it's just kind of exhausting and uh, I want to move past it. But um, as Jared said uh, in the intro, we have a pretty, pretty good show for you. Um, there's a couple of juicy news bits that I want to get into, um, and also some like personal updates, which I'm surprised we even have any of those anymore, to be honest with you. Um, I shot a film over the summer in July. Uh, you know, the film was shot over about a week and a half. We've still got some additional like footage to capture, um, couple more days at least of shooting but for the most part the film is shot uh and i worked as the cinematographer on that film it's called moving parts uh it's going to come out here in 2021 preferably um with covid and everything no one knows exactly what's going on we would like to submit it to a couple of film festivals specifically the omaha film festival um probably a couple more but uh, again, you know, with COVID and everything going on, this is going to be, by the way, this is going to be the only mention of COVID, except for maybe a couple of other times in the actual news discussion, um, just because it's kind of hard to talk around at this point. But COVID, who knows what's going to happen? So our little feature film that we shot over the summer um, might not get released until next year. And that's okay. Uh, we want it to be released when it's ready, but I'm really excited for it. Um, I had a lot of fun making that movie, and I worked with an incredible group of people. Um, so it's one of it's one of those like memories that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. Um, I had a lot of fun making it, uh, but I'll just get you a little synopsis here. It's just a short one. It's comedy. Um, it follows a former child actor returning to his hometown to accept an award and revitalize his image as a beloved son of the heartland, and specifically of Omaha. Because when you think about Omaha, you know, we have, we definitely have a few stars that have come from the heartland where we live here, and we wanted to kind of take that concept and kind of play with it a little bit. Um, the production's called Moving Parts as I said before, and um, it's really about 
the idea of ourselves that we have in our own head, you know, kind of how we envision ourselves and how kind of life goes on, even even when you haven't succeeded, even when you have, you know, succeeded at something, when you've been successful, um, it still moves, you know, the earth goes round and it doesn't stop. So that's what the movie follows. And uh, I hope whenever it's released, I'll share more information about the production with you. Um, but uh, as we get closer to that day, um, I can't help but get super excited about it. So... I just wanted to bring you up to speed on that little tidbit because it was quite exciting for me as I've never shot a full feature-length film before. Um, I've only done shorts in the past, and while those shorts are incredible to work on, and I and I really love the, the pace of working on a short film, it was nice to kind of be in the trenches on a feature-length film, and especially to have such a huge part in making it. Um, you know, it was shot all on iPhones. Um on iPhone X specifically, uh, with anamorphic lenses, and um, the amount of mobility and flexibility that gave to the production itself uh, was incredible. And, you know, working with actors who um, kind, kind of are used to an impromptu uh, kind of improvisational style of filmmaking um, where resources are limited and you kind of have to improvise on what you want to do and where you want to go with certain things. You know, there's a certain amount of flexibility that you have to account for in scripts like that and in productions like that. So it was really exciting to be a part of that. Um, and uh, yeah, Moving Parts 2021. Um, that's my plug. Check it out. Uh, in other news, um, the website got a nice facelift. Uh, I don't know if you've had the chance to check out the website at all, but if you have, you will notice that we are now hosted by Squarespace and not WordPress. And um, I was really hesitant to make that move. Um, I had planned to make that move a while ago, and I just never got around to it. Um, but now that I have, I'm really, really excited for all of the different things and all of the new opportunities that come with that, um, that transfer itself. Uh, and you know, it's, while 2020 has been strange to say the least, it's also given way to many new writing opportunities for me. You know, I never thought that I would be featured in a gaily dreadful, um, be in talks with a couple of other film sites and editors about publishing work in different places. And, I initially intended to kind of be independent and to kind of work myself up that way. But after a few years, you know, I think it's really nice to collaborate with people and to work on different things and, um, you know, kind of branch out a little bit other than, you know, remain in my own bubble as much as, as, as much as I love being in my own head. Right. Um, we all kind of need that escape and to go somewhere else occasionally. And that's the kind of reasoning why I think in my head, the, the transfer from WordPress to Squarespace works so well for me. Not only is it visually different, but um, for me, it's a clean slate in a lot of ways, especially after this year. So I hope that you're going to go check out the site. Um, you can check it out at www.theboroughreviews.com. Theboroughreviews.com. 
I don't know why I did that again, but I felt like it needed more emphasis. If you'd like to support the Borough Reviews or the Into the Borough podcast, please consider signing up for a monthly subscription or even making a one-time donation through our Patreon campaign. Our Patreon offers three distinct tiers. Candyman, a $1 a month subscription to simply offer your support. It follows a $2 a month subscription to get early access to videos. And finally, Hereditary, which is a $5 a month subscription for exclusive videos and all of the other tier perks. During these times, it is crucial for us to remain sustainable, and with your help, we can get there. Head over to patreon.com slash Reviews, your movie refuge. The latest news from last week. AMC Theaters and Universal Pictures' deal to dramatically shorten the amount of time that movies play exclusively on the big screen is resounding like a thunderclap across the film business. The alliance once considered improbable is challenging long-held prejudices while leaving executives and creative talent to navigate a new topography. It's already inspiring a fierce debate over whether or not AMC and Universal's partnership is a bold and necessary move for uncertain times, or a reckless play born out of desperation. One thing everyone agrees on is that it's historic. The pandemic dramatically shifted the power dynamics between studios and exhibitions, giving content creators more leverage in debate over how films are made, marketed, and distributed. Since movie theaters were shuttered in March, Universal has circumvented cinemas to put Trolls World Tour, Judd Apatow's comedy The King of Staten Island, and other titles on its premium video on demand, finding a winning model and capturing audiences at home. The ceasefire between AMC and Universal is surprising because for a long time, exhibitors have argued that shortening the window will cannibalize their business. They believe it will encourage consumers to avoid theaters, no matter how compelling a new release may be, in favor of waiting a few weeks to stream it in their own home. But AMC has bargained that this was the risk it had to take, and it will be compensated for its willingness to take the plunge according to insiders. In the short run, however, Universal's competitors are proceeding with caution. AMC has reached out to other major studios to offer them slightly different terms from what Universal has agreed to, but has yet to find any takers. As far as other cinema chains, it's unclear if they'll follow suit. It's possible that other movie theater circuits will balk at Universal's new definition of a theatrical window and refuse to play the studio's films. However, this does ensure that the studio will have hundreds of locations at its disposal because AMC is the nation's largest theater chain. AMC's main competitor, Cineworld, the owner of Regal, was adamant that it would not sign similar deals with other studios. Adam Barry writes, Why Comic-Con at Home was a bust. Quote, If a fan convention is held on the internet and no one's there to talk about it, does it make any noise? That was the overwhelming experience with Comic-Con at Home, the virtual fan convention that ran from July 22nd to the 26th. It was meant to replace San Diego Comic-Con, the massive annual fan gathering that was forced to cancel due to COVID-19 pandemic. Despite A-list panels for The Walking Dead, the Star Trek universe, and two Keanu Reeves movies, Comic-Con at Home cast a pale shadow in comparison to Comic-Con of recent years, perhaps the starkest example yet of what we lose when we lose the live experience. According to data from social media analytics firm Listen First, 
Tweets that mention Comic-Con at home were down 95% from 2019's live convention. Just 93,000 tweets over the five-day event. Against 1,719,000 tweets in 2019. Tweets about the top 10 TV events were similarly down 93%, and tweets about the top 5 movie panels were down a shocking 99%. Views on YouTube, which hosted the vast majority of Comic-Con's panels, were scarcely better. Average views for Thursday, which have had the longest period for people to watch them, are hovering around 15,000 per panel. On the one hand, that's over double the capacity for Comic-Con's biggest live venue, the famed Hall H. On the other hand, it's not looking so good. In terms of YouTube views and social media impact, by far the best performing panel for Comic-Con at home was The New Mutants, 20th Century Studios' long-suffering Marvel Comics adaptation, which has had its release date pushed four times since April 2018. To date, the film's panel has logged just over 208,000 views on YouTube since July 23rd, thanks largely to the to the decision uh, to debut a first look at the opening scene for the film within the panel itself, and it was the most discussed movie at the panel on Twitter, generating 7,000 tweets. Brian Steinberg of Variety writes, TV's upfront talks start to heat up, despite pandemic. Quote, Major buying agencies have begun negotiating with TV networks in earnest over advanced purchases of advertising time a sign that TV's annual upfront process will take place in some fashion, despite the conditions from the coronavirus pandemic hurting several of the industry's top marketing categories. NBC Universal, Fox Corporation, Warner Media, Walt Disney, and Viacom CBS are among the companies that have met with top buying organizations like Publicist Media and Omnicom Media Group, according to six people with knowledge of the talks. The company has all declined to comment. Despite the executive's optimistic tone, people familiar with the current talks say most of the haggling is just that, though consumer products giant Procter & Gamble is said to have begun negotiating terms with some media outlets, a sense has emerged that upfront talks could last through Labor Day, and several executives acknowledge the volume this year will not match what has been secured in recent sessions. Billions of dollars are at stake. In 2019, the five English-language broadcast networks secured between $9.6 billion and $10.8 billion for advanced ad commitments for their primetime schedules, according to Variety. Estimates compared with $9.1 billion and $10.06 billion in 2018's haggle. The process marked the fourth consecutive year that that the networks were able to claim increasing volume for their primetime schedules. Ad spending in many categories remains down, according to data from ad spender tracker Kantar, but shortfalls have moderated somewhat over the past few weeks. The number of 30-second spots aired across the nation's top 25 TV networks was off 12% between July 13th and July 19th, the researcher said. In a similar period in late May, that figure was off 18%. Ad spending behind food, household products, and insurance appears to have increased, according to Kantar, but similar outlays behind automobiles, beverages, restaurants, retail, and telecommunications continue to dwindle. Movie studios have, for all intents and purposes, stopped running commercials. Anthony D'Alessandro of Deadline reports that Courtney Cox will be reprising her role as news reporter Gail Weathers in Spyglass Media Group and Paramount relaunch of Scream. 
The Frenzalum joins previously announced Screamcast member David Arquette, who is also coming back as Dewey Riley. Cameras will roll on Spyglass Media Group and Paramount Production in Wilmington, North Carolina. Creator Kevin Williamson and the third member of Radio Silence Trio, Chad Villella, are executive producing with Project X Entertainment's Vanderbilt, Paul Neinstein, and William Sherrick, serving as producers. Radio Silence tells us, quote, We can't imagine Scream without the iconic Gale Weathers and are so incredibly thrilled and humbled to have the opportunity to work with Courtney. We're absolute mega fans of her work and we're excited to join her in the next chapter of the Scream saga. The Scream franchise, through four movies that began in 1996, have grossed over $600 million at the global box office. The late Wes Craven directed all four movies. Williamson wrote the original film, as well as Scream 2 and Scream 4. And that concludes your last week's news update. Hey, did you know that we have our own YouTube channel? There, we upload video reviews of the latest television shows or movies, and even some Let's Plays. Lately, we have been focused heavily on our curated horror content. But we have a goal to get to 100 subscribers by the end of the year, and it would mean everything to the team to reach our goal. Simply search The Borough Reviews on YouTube and make sure to subscribe and ring the bell if you enjoy the content. The Borough Reviews, your movie refuge. Okay, so let's talk for just a couple of minutes here about AMC and Universal's deal. It's dead on arrival, if you think about it. And for a couple of reasons. Number one, the other movie studios haven't signed on to this deal with AMC or any of the other theater chains, nor have the other major theater chains here in America signed on to a deal like this. Nor do those executives on both sides want to. Because for a lot of them, it's a lose-lose situation. And I'll explain why. Take, for instance, a movie studio like Disney. Disney will not sign on to a deal like this with AMC or with any other theater chain because they make a lot of box office revenue in the theaters on their opening weekends, whether we're talking about Star Wars, whether we're talking about Marvel, even over at Warner Media, you know, with some of their huge box office hits, you know, Aquaman. Now, it's not on the same level as the Marvel movies, obviously, but they still make a hefty chunk of change at the box office. And to lose that, that revenue, would be detrimental to a lot of studios. Um, you would definitely have to change your whole production budget um, on almost every other film. Because imagine a scenario in which you have the latest, you know, Avengers movie. And you have a, a nuclear family, family of four, let's just say, um, you know, mother, father, son, daughter. Um, and the family wants to go see the newest Avengers movie. But they know that in three weeks, in just 17 days, three weekends, that movie will be released on streaming for 1999. And that rental expires after 48 hours. So even if you don't finish it right away, you can still come back to it later. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had kids, I would definitely opt to stay home, especially because I do have 
quite a, a, a nice home theater system. So especially take into consideration just how many people have expensive TVs, soundbars, um, you know, a, an actual like studio setup essentially for for screening films and for screening TV shows. Uh, it's very unlikely that that family then wants to go out and spend, you know, almost triple, if not quadruple, in the in the movie theaters. So you're kind of discouraging people from going out. And, you know, after COVID-19 and the pandemic, I understand the argument of this is just the way that things are going to have to be, but it will, it's a tectonic shift, as John Campia puts it. Um, I was watching his show the other day, and he was talking extensively about this. It kind of dooms the theaters, right? Because you're taking away the window. And we've been dealing with this now for for years. If we're talking about Netflix, if we're talking about The Irishman, and The Irishman and Netflix's battle with movie theaters um, to kind of shorten that window. Uh, you know, oftentimes when people think about revamping the theatrical window, we talk about, you know, moving theatrical movies to, you know, premium video-on-demand services after, you know... 30 days. And even 30 days feels too short. But I'll tell you what, it's better than 17. And you're more likely to get these executives to sign on to deal with shortening, shortening the theatrical window to 30 days than you are with 17. And, you know, this is a developing story. But as of right now, no other um, deals have been struck with any of the other studios or any of the other chains. So I'll, you know, I'll, I'll keep my eye on this story because it's ever evolving in the world of streaming and VOD. And it's, it's an important one to talk about, especially. So I'll keep my eye on it. Um, but I can't see how this works out for any, in anyone's favor. Um, specifically, you know, I understand that we're going to have to, we're going to have to shift something, you know, there's going to have to be a big push for streaming at home now. Um, and it's just, you know, unfortunately going to become the new normal and that's okay. Um, but there's got to be a nice middle ground, a, a good sweet spot where the movie studios don't lose any money and the theaters don't lose any money. And there's got to be cohesion there. It's got to, it's got to be a symbiotic relationship, if you will. <laughs> um, it's kind of a weird way of putting it, uh, oddly sexual, but, um, Anyway, I just thought I would share that little note with you because it's huge news. If you want to, there have been several articles like written on this exact subject matter um, that give good critiques, and they also provide you with some of the figures that um, are calculated or, you know, at least projected to be accurate data points for both sides, um, an argument in favor and against. So I recommend that you go out and look at some of those articles to try and determine, you know, what you think about the situation. Um, but what I do know, what I can tell you for certain is that there will be movement in this field going forward. This was just obviously the first major deal struck. <sighs> okay, now that that's out of the way, I was kind of dreading talking about that. So Comic-Con Comic -Con at home. It was supposed to be a replacement for the in-person experience at San Diego Comic-Con 
for 2020, but it didn't quite work out that way. And I think when you lose the audience interaction, the feeling, kind of the euphoric feeling of being in a in a Hall H, for instance, with thousands of other people and, you know, experiencing your beloved properties, you know, in real life, um, it's it's a lot different than watching something on the screen. And especially at home when people have been bored and when people have been stuck and when people have been un you know under a lot of pressure under a lot of financial stress um maybe they lost their job maybe you know they're trying to figure out how they're going to get their kids back in school and what that looks like um you you kind of need to come in with an event that's going to blow people away right and the only thing that you really blowed people away with was the fact that New Mutants are trying to keep their theatrical date um, pinned down because they don't want to move it for the hundredth time. Uh, and they showed, you know, obviously a couple minutes of footage as well from the opening. And that was really the only exciting thing, as as um, Adam Berry's article like covers in Variety here. Like that was really the only thing that it had going for it. Uh, I watched the New Mutants panel and I watched um, some of the Walking Dead panels, even though I haven't watched The Walking Dead for, you know, years now, Um, just to kind of see, you know, what was happening on both those fronts. And I was subscribed to the YouTube channel for a while, just trying to, you know, pick out different content that looked cool. But basically, you had this whole Zoom set up, right? And in... For those of you, like, about to rebuttal with, well, you know, what else could they do? Whatever, whatever. I understand. I understand that you're kind of limited to the amount of things that you can and can't do. But the lack of presence from, like, for instance, the lack of presence from, like, Marvel Studios or Lucasfilm or DC Films even, uh, kind of, it, it, it felt inflated when it didn't need to be inflated. And it felt kind of pointless to watch, you know, between 25 and 40 minutes of content of creators and industry experts just talking about random things over Zoom. You know, um, I think people would rather watch a TED Talk, to be honest with you. And I'll tell you why, because it's not through it's not through webcam. And while the idea of that for me seemed more personable in a way it lost its it lost its energy and that was the reason why comic-con at home didn't probably work as well as it could have and i don't know how you fix that i don't know what comic-con looks like for the next year or two i don't know if you know their viewership <laughs> i don't know if they're happy with their viewership i would assume not because if you only like the article pointed out, um, you know, on th- on the Thursday panels, if you only doubled like your attendance, when you're dealing with the whole world, you know, on an international scale, people that haven't been able to attend Comic Con in the past, I would think that your viewership would be much much higher, significantly higher than what it was, and the fact that the amount of social media engagement. Um, was kind of lackluster too, just points to 
a general disinterest with how Comic-Con at Home was presented. And again, that's no fault of theirs. Um, the people who run Comic-Con and who put on, you know, Comic-Con at Home had the best of intentions, I have no doubt. Every industry expert, every actor, every writer, every, you know, director, everyone who was, you know, at that convention, at the at-home convention, <laughs> what what a weird thing to say, um did their very best to put on, you know, uh, a decent presentation, but I, the energy was just missing, unfortunately. And when you've come to expect this kind of enigmatic experience from, from you know, Comic-Con and from being there live in person and experiencing that firsthand, uh, it's a little different and it didn't translate that well, unfortunately. Moving on, um, the advertising talks for television, I thought was fascinating. So, you know, you have all these, these spots to fill in TV advertisements, but obviously because of COVID-19, everything has been put on hold. A lot of the productions are going to start resuming within the next couple of months, um, or at least they're slated to begin. But, you know, you have all these major buying agencies trying to, um, you know, come after certain ad spots and, uh, because typically how this would work is you would have, you know, an upfront, an annual process, which basically a bunch of people are just buying random spots. But the talks have kind of been halted by the fact that no one knows what's actually going on with the scheduling for television. And so that kind of puts the the buying agencies in, in weird places of not knowing how much they should spend on advertisements. And it kind of creates this whole weird middle ground where yes there are talks but are they even really talking because no one's quite sure about what's going what's going to happen in the next couple of months so and especially you have to consider too that the coronavirus is hitting each state differently and you know the governments the state and local governments are handling everything differently and so for instance you know right here in Nebraska the 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 mayor of Lincoln has decided to put a mask mandate in order, but you have Omaha health officials basically saying that masks aren't required. And those are two of the biggest cities in <laughs> Nebraska, and they're contradicting each other. So you can kind of see how across the entire nation, everything's, you know, out of order. Everything is up in the air. So... The ad buying agencies, while in talks, aren't necessarily probably going to get everything that they had hoped for. And honestly, the TV networks um, are kind of at a loss too. It's 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 a loss for everyone, unfortunately. But uh, I thought that, that was an interesting news tidbit to bring up, just because I don't hear too much about things like that, like at all. So when I saw this article, it kind of goes into depth. If you want to read more, you can read the article on Variety, um, they kind of laid out really nicely with some figures about how, you know, CPM increases and um, how all of that relates to kind of how this negotiating process works between TV networks and ad buying agencies. So I encourage you to go read that. But our last news story that I want to discuss is the return of Courtney Cox. Yes. Hell yeah. I am so pumped for this movie now. Um, I still haven't seen Ready or Not, for those of you wondering. Maybe I'll try and check that out this weekend. Um, but we've got a return of an OG, and that means the world to me. 
Ah, that rhymed. I did not mean, I did not mean for that to rhyme like that. Um, but Courtney Cox reprising her role as news reporter Gail Weathers is huge. Um, she joins David Arquette, who has already, you know, um, agreed and signed on to do Scream 5. So who knows um, where Neb Campbell's negotiations currently lay. But I imagine if we've got two out of the three, um, this just makes it even harder for Neb Campbell to reject any sort of negotiations. Uh, about a possible return. Um, it increases the odds that we're going to see Sidney Prescott once again. And I hope that the Radio Silence team has something truly special for us for Scream 5. It's the first Scream without Wes Craven. Uh, I didn't think it would move forward this quickly, to be honest with you. Um, I thought it would definitely take some time. But I'm glad that the ball is rolling now, and it's set to film later this year. So, again... We don't know what's happening with COVID, so let's hope everything goes according to plan and we get Scream 5 in the near future. And I apologize. My voice sucks today. <laughs> Absolutely sucks. And I'm dealing with a lot of um, acid reflux and uh, allergies have been kind of like uh, killing me, destroying me, uh, both physically and mentally. So my voice was already shot before. Um but I hope that, uh, you know, you still enjoyed it. Now, don't think I would let you off that easy without at least one more ad read. The good news, though, I'm simply trying to tell you about our website, theboroughreviews.com. We have plenty of articles and reviews for you to read as you ponder your existence during these trying times. Like indie reviews? We got them. Do you like blockbuster reviews? We got those, too. And... Are you a Nebraska local looking for a review of your latest project? We got you. Simply search theboroughreviews.com in your web browser and you'll find us. If you have a short or a feature film you'd like to submit for review, use the About Contact page to fill out the form. Not every submission will be accepted, but it is always worth a shot, and it is at no charge to you either. And we accept submissions from all over the world. So what are you waiting for? The Borough Reviews your movie refuge. So, what is new on streaming, you ask? Well, Netflix has a new original movie, The Kissing Booth 2. Now, full disclosure, I didn't actually watch the first one, so um, there's a recap right at the beginning of the film uh, narrated by L, narrated by L, um, that kind of recaps everything that happened in the first film that was really helpful to me. But then we also have a Hulu original, Palm Springs, starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti, um, along with J.K. Simmons, which is fantastic. And I plan to talk about both of those. So buckle up. The Kissing Booth 2 is directed by Vince Marcello, and, um, you know, I didn't really have that much to say about this film, other than I can lay out um, everything that I have wrong with the movie in three words. Lying is bad. Lying is bad. Lying is bad. And, just in case you weren't aware, lying is bad. And that's the script. That's all the movie is. Um, it kind of treads over the same thematic material over and over again for its entire runtime of two hours and 14 minutes, which, by the way, 
is too long for a movie with no substance. And, um, you know, I guess the main inconsistency that I find with The Kissing Booth um, is the tone, because you have these really melodramatic moments interspersed with all of this, like, childish humor, and it kind of just gives you whiplash uh, back and forth as you try and figure out where the story's heading, which, by the way, is so easily obtainable in the first, like, ten minutes of the movie, you know exactly where it's gonna go. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, because you can still have a really good movie that you can basically pinpoint exactly what it's doing. But this was not that. Um, for those of you who like the first one, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry that you like it, because um, from what I understand, it's not much better than this. And the second one, from from my understanding as well, is also basically what you would expect from the first film. So if you liked the first film, chances are you're going to like The Kissing Booth too. I would say the only true standouts um, were really uh, <laughs> the new character, um, Taylor Perez, who played Marco Pena. And um, I guess you could you could also throw in Molly Ringwald because, you know, it's it's Molly Ringwald. I mean, I'm sad that she's in this movie, but also I'm, I suppose, not surprised as well. Um, definitely a little strange for me seeing her in a role like this, but again, um, you know, she'll be in The Kissing Booth 3 because Netflix has already greenlit that movie, so um, yeah. If you like the first, you'll like the second. Um, and by the way, just in case you weren't aware, lying is bad. Let's talk about Palm Springs. Um, Palm Springs uh, is directed by Max Barbacow. Um, Barbacow, I don't know how you say that last name. Barbacow, Barbacow, um, some way, some variation of that. Um but Palm Springs is kind of this Groundhog Day film, um, which is becoming increasingly a new genre in in the comedy, um, in, in the genre of comedy. So basically, it's a I guess it's a, an entire subgenre now. And by the way, it doesn't even have to be like um, in com- a subgenre of comedy, right? You could do Groundhog Day as a drama. You could do Groundhog Day. Um, as a horror movie, as, you know, um, Happy Death Day did. So it doesn't have to be in just one of the staple genres, but it is a subgenre nonetheless. Uh, and uh, let me just read the synopsis for you. When carefree Niles and reluctant maid of honor Sarah have a chance encounter at a Palm Springs wedding, things get complicated as they are unable to escape the venue, themselves, or each other. Uh, this movie basically throws you in in the action um, in media reyes, uh, right in the middle, like, um, and it can be very jarring at first because the first 10 minutes are, uh, constantly evolving. The tone is constantly shifting. Um, and it's not until right around the 12 to 15 minute mark that you really get a sense for what the movie's doing. And then everything becomes easily obtainable thereafter. Um, J.K. Simmons' character of Roy is, uh, truly, (laughs) truly, like, um, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word, like, just fun, um, 
but he is. Roy is just a fun character. Um, and, you know, Niles and Sarah are also fun characters. And when you put the three of them, you know, and, and you push them to the front over everyone else, every other character in the movie, um, I think that it works really well when those three are on screen together and they just have this natural kind of chemistry back and forth. It doesn't mean that the other characters are out of place necessarily, but um, the strongest portions of the really snappy movie, I mean, this movie's only an hour and 30 minutes, but the the main part that I wanted to highlight is Andy Sandberg, Christy, or Kristen Milioti, excuse me, and J.K. Simmons. Um, I think that's basically the highlight of the film. Uh, right now it has an 84 on Metascore, and um, on IMDb, it has a 7.5 out of 10, which is kind of where I would put it in terms of rating. You know, if I had to rate it, um, The Kissing Booth 2, not so strong, with a 39 meta score and a user rating of 6, so it's a little bit higher there. Um, but I would say Palm Springs is the much stronger film. Um, definitely knows what it wants to be, where it's going. And it executes it with confidence, as where The Kissing Booth 2, I feel like they just, you know, had an extension of the first because of how well Netflix's metrics did with the first. And obviously, there are a lot of people turning out for The Kissing Booth 2. Um, a lot of my friends actually uh, love these Netflix movies, these Netflix originals that basically are the same plot that they just fucking throw into every fucking film that they put out. Um, you know, they have the same kind of thematic content. Uh, it seems very copy-paste, and um, that's what you can expect out of out of the kissing booth. But Palm Springs, however, um, is a little bit more original. I'm not going to say everything in it was original, but it's not childish humor either, which is the thing. Um, so if you want just a solid comedy, I would say definitely go for Palm Springs. The Kissing Booth 2 isn't necessarily trash. I didn't rate it as poorly as everyone else, but I do think that for me, you're looking at, at about like, um, like a two and a half out of five or like a 50%. I think it's an average movie. I don't think much more of it. Um, obviously the rest of the critics seem to disagree with me. They think it's a lot worse than it is. Um, Palm Springs, uh, while the meta score is so high, I don't quite put it um, at that level for me. I think we've just gotten to the point now in quarantining and social distancing where any any good piece of material that comes out, whether it be a TV show, a movie, um, art, uh, you know, a writing piece, a novel, whatever you wanna, whatever you wanna put the label towards, um, I do think that people are just bored and they've kind of lowered their standard of quality. Um, it's not a, a bad thing necessarily for the times that we're in, but I do think people are getting a little bit ahead of themselves when we talk about Palm Springs. Um, and again, it's don't, I'm not trying to come after you if you really like this movie or if you like the kissing booth too. Um, it's not really a competition, uh, but I'm just saying for my personal opinion on what I'm observing right now. Um, I, you know, even at the beginning of the year, it was like that where I thought maybe some of the films that the critics were praising, it was a little bit underwhelming to me. Um, when I saw the lodge, I had heard really good things, really rave reviews about the lodge. And then I get to the lodge and it kind of didn't work for me at first until 
I sat on it some more and reflected on it some more. So I think it's a trend that we're experiencing industry-wide for filmmaking, but we're also experiencing it in all of the creative arts. Um, just because right now it's such it's such a weird time vortex. Uh, I feel like it's entirely unfair to judge how people are handling everything that's going on in the world right now. And um, so if you main point, if you like the kissing booth too more than me, great. If you like it less than me, I still value your opinion. Same thing with Palm Springs, but I'm going to have to give Palm Springs um, a seven out of 10 as where I give the kissing booth a five out of 10. And that's what we have for streaming this week. There really isn't that much else that I'm doing with my time other than I am binge watching MTV's Scream. Um, but that's about it. I am about halfway through season two right now. And boy, do I love that show. Um, I've enjoyed it a lot more the second time. The first time it's a little bit jarring because it's nowhere near what the movies are. But um, so I would say, you know, with all this Scream news too, you might you might as well just go check out MTV Scream. Um, if you haven't yet, I would highly recommend that. Uh, what else do we have on streaming? Um, what's new to streaming this weekend? So I can tell you fine folks, uh, what actually is going on this weekend. Um, (laughs) Vulture has a really solid list on this, um, for streaming. We have a bunch of new stuff and we have a bunch of old stuff that you can watch of course hamilton's still on disney plus um you know palm springs uh this they don't really put this list in order of anything that kind of sucks that sucks i'm sorry guys i should have had this prepared for you i didn't know that i was gonna do that um pc mag sure i don't really care about pc mag i don't really read pc mag all that much but it was updated today. So the Muppets are now on Disney+. Plus. Um, apparently, uh, the Muppets were using Zoom-like communications even before COVID-19 to set up their new show for Disney+. Plus. No scripts, celebrities, uh, clotted cream, all of the stars this weekend. Um, so that's interesting. We have the Umbrella Academy on Netflix. The second best misfit family of superheroes in the streaming verse is back with an even stronger second season full of infighting, regular fighting, time travel, and hopefully a musical number or two. Just watch the video above. And of course, they have a link to the, the trailer. Actually, it's a link to the opening scene of season two, which I heard is action-packed. Um, and uh, Vulture... Also, or PC Mag, sorry, also has a quick refresher on season one. So you can go look at that. Um, and of course, uh, we have Sugar Rush season three on Netflix. Um, the third season is here. We have The Joy of Painting on Tubi. Uh, that's with Bob Ross. It's free, of course. Uh, we have a new HBO Max show called Frayed. The Australian-British import comes to HBO Max and follows a formerly rich, widowed housewife who must take her kids from London back to her hometown in Australia in the late 1980s, only to find out that everyone there hates her guts. Believing in it isn't easy. Um, so that's interesting. We also have Black is King on Disney+. Plus. Um, let me read you a little bit about uh, Black is King. Uh, King Black. Let me get that official synopsis pulled up for you. So Black is King is a 2020 musical film and visual album directed, written, and executive produced by American singer Beyonce. 
The film serves as the visual companion to the 2019 album The Lion King, The Gift. A uh, tie-in album curated by Beyonce for the 2019 remake of The Lion King is what you have to expect from there. Um, so those are just a few of the things that you can find uh, upcoming, I suppose. Um, they also have Greyhound on Netflix. I haven't got around to watching that, but it's a Tom Hanks World War II thriller um, that ended up going to Netflix after it was supposed to be in theaters this year. Um, so that's what I have for you, um, in terms of what's streaming this weekend, but I say it's a good weekend unless you really like the Umbrella Academy or the Muppets. I say it's a good weekend to hit that sugar rush, maybe find, you know, some old shows, go back, revisit Better Call Saul, revisit Breaking Bad, do all those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, that is your, uh, your, um, streaming section for this episode. Hope you enjoyed. To anyone still listening to this podcast, thank you. It truly, truly, truly does mean a lot to me that you stuck around and listened to me ramble for, you know, however long this ends up being. I'm not really sure. I haven't been paying attention to time at all. Um, but I really appreciate your viewership and, um, you know, it means a lot to me. It's why I do what I do. You know, I might not have a large audience, but I do have somewhat of an audience and I want to keep making content for you guys, whether it be in movie reviews, um, TV reviews, podcasts, YouTube videos, gaming videos, whatever it is. I just want to make sure that I'm putting out content that you're enjoying. Um, so let me know what you think of this podcast. Make sure to share it on all of the social media platforms if you can. Um, it really helps me out. I average, I think about like, I don't know, like, 30 to 50 downloads per episode. So not a whole lot. Um, but I am averaging some, which is nice. Uh, and, um, yeah, so just make sure you're sharing. Um, if you like what you hear, uh, it lets me know that, you know, I'm doing the right thing and it encourages me to put out more content in this crazy time. I do have a couple of new reviews on the site. You can go check those out at the um, um, you know, a lot of short film submissions coming in, you know, it seems like a lot of people have gotten really creative with their quarantine time and they have turned it into just incredible art. So, um, props to those filmmakers. Uh, and I truly do hope that, uh, wherever you are, you're staying safe with COVID, you're happy and, um, that 2020, the rest of 2020 treats you right, even though we all know still fucking us so <laughs> um kind of hopefully optimistic there but uh anyway guys take care and i'll see you on the next episode goodbye